victory. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, good morning. I am Troy, and I currently serve on the prayer team at Victory Church, uh, and am transitioning into the interim pastor role. Uh, excited. Uh, we have a word from the Lord today. Uh, our scripture reading this morning will be from the book of Luke, chapter 15, uh, and we'll read verses 1 through 3 and verses 11 through 32. Um, as we look that up, I just wanted to uh, wish everybody a happy Father's Day, um, a day where we uh, honor and celebrate fathers, uh, and a day where uh, we are happy in doing that. Uh, and ultimately a day where uh, we can see the Father, our God, and our Savior. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 11 through 32. Uh, I'm reading from the New International Version, and the word of the Lord reads as follows. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh, skipping down to verse 11 now. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandal on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of God and the word of strength. If I had to title uh, our few moments together today, I would title it The Prodigal. The Prodigal. Let us pray. God, even in this moment, we trust you as the author of our lives and the author and finisher of our faith. Now, Lord God, I pray that you would touch uh, and that you would move and that you would inspire and that you would convict in this moment. And Lord God, ultimately, that you would draw us nearer to you and to your vision. Lord, I pray uh, special comfort upon fathers and upon all of us. Lord, even and perhaps especially on this day, we need your guidance, your support, and your protection. So we ask for it now. In your name, amen. All right, Victory and family. Uh, I need you to stay uh, with me now because this is an intricate parable in the Bible. And we are, uh, this morning, for the most part, going to rest in this parable. First, uh, a little background. Uh, Luke 15, 1 through 2, uh, tells us, uh, that tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomed sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus then told three parables in response. Jesus then told this, three. The parable of someone leaving 99 sheep to go and find the one, uh, finding it and being joyful. The parable of someone losing a lost coin and finding it and rejoicing. Uh, and then the parable we read this morning. Here's the story in a nutshell. A man has two sons, an elder and a younger. The younger son says, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. Now you have to understand what this really means, so let's break this down. This son just asked his father to give him what he would inherit after his father died. And so the way it worked in the Middle East in, in those days is that the property is divided between the sons, uh, and the eldest son gets a devil portion. So if you have two sons, then everything is split into three. The older son gets two portions, and the younger son gets one portion. So we are now talking about one-third of everything the father has. Uh, and in that day and time, even if you were bold enough to ask about your inheritance before your father passed away, uh, that parent would still live off of the proceeds until they passed away. So uh, there might be allocation, but there'd be no transfer of, of ownership. Uh, and the, 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 the scholar Henry Nowen uh, wrote a book, uh, a great book, in fact, I'd recommend it, uh, on a painting about this parable by Rembrandt. Uh, and in this book, among other things, he asked Middle Eastern scholars if they'd ever seen a situation where a child asked, for the property, be, property be, to be disposed while the parent was living. Uh, and the answer is no, that would never happen. Uh, and, and, and perhaps that request would be met with a slap and a kick if that child was lucky. 
Because asking this is the same thing as saying, Dad, I want you to die. Uh, to put it in our context, it would be like uh, your child, if you have children, coming to you and saying, sell your house uh, and give me the proceeds that would be mine whenever you die. <laughs> but wait, you might say, where am I going to live if I sell my house? How am I going to support the rest of my family? Exactly. This child, who obviously lived in a decent home and had everything he needed, decided to insult his father by saying his father um, should be dead. But what's, what's even more problematic, um, behind, beyond the symbolism of disowning your father, is that this has a real uh, effect, right? The entire household now has to be supported by two-thirds of, uh, of the income. They might have had to sell off their house or their, their land in order to make the, 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 this dispossession a, a reality. This wasn't theoretical. This father was left to support his family on less, and the structures of the support, the property, the land, needed to be changed in order to make that Happen. And so now the father doesn't have enough and he must be burning into the elder son's future inheritance to meet the day-to-day -day needs. So in real terms, the father has much less than two-thirds of what he started with. And maybe, just maybe, all of this wouldn't hurt so much if that child left the father's house and made something of himself. And they took that, that talent and took the capital that the father uh, put in and turned it into tenfold or one hundredfold. At least you could, could, could justify it so the rejection wouldn't hurt so much. But, 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 but this man somehow finds a way to squander his father's life's work and probably, frankly, the life's work of his father and his father's father in a short time. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how long. But it's obvious he squandered it quickly with nothing to show for it. He didn't buy a fancy car. Didn't buy a big house. Um, we know because if he did, he would have sold them when the famine hit. Uh, and he probably didn't give the money to charity, which is another way to spend money quickly. Uh, and it doesn't even sound like he, he, he got schemed in a, in a rich get-rich-quick scheme or a pyramid scheme that left him penniless. That's another way to lose money really quickly. He, he, he wasn't duped. Uh, and so there are only a few other ways to spend money quickly and have literally nothing to show for it but heartache and disappointment. And funny enough, despite our, our modern technology, those ways haven't changed much in 2,000 years. Uh, so let me tell you, Victory, or ask you perhaps, what did he spend his money on? Uh, he must have spent his money on gambling drinking, prostitutes, which the elder son mentions. Things that consume money uh, and consume you, but leave no trace of value. Things and activities that are obvious signs of brokenness because all they do is consume. All they do is break. Things that uh, for 2,000 years, for more than that, uh, we're often tried to, to, to be told that they are good, but they are things uh, in a real sense that destroy households, uh, breaks them apart, and separates us from God. 
Uh, and because they separate us from the good that God has for us, we call them sin. They take value and turn it into nothing. And the truth of the matter is, it's really difficult to squander money that quickly. In fact, if it wasn't so tragic, you'd have to laugh at the pure selfishness of it all. To basically wish your father dead and then to squander his lifetime of work in a matter of days. It's hard to do. Uh, the word prodigal means spending money or resources recklessly, uh, wastefully, extravagantly. And oh boy, is that what the younger son did. And now watching all of this amongst others is the eldest son. Uh, the son we must assume had been faithful to his father. He didn't ask for his inheritance early. He didn't go off and squander his father's resources. He stayed by his father and lived through the humiliation his father must have felt from others in the community because he gave up the inheritance. The eldest son's own life child changed, and he saw the tangible hurt on his father's face every day. And most importantly, he saw someone treat his own father that bad way. Someone that his father cared for, turning that caring into nothing. And the elder son must have heard the people talking in town about his father, laughing at the father for allowing this to happen. He heard the people showing no, no respect to his father. The elder son saw it up and close and personal every day, and I imagine it must have irked at his soul. Uh, and I imagine... That he wanted to tell his younger brother, Hey, Fred, you'd be actually better off if you just treated your mother, treated your father right. What you're doing makes no sense. It actually hurts you. And he was there to watch his father, perhaps his parents, struggle because they loved the younger child and wanted what was best for the child, but weren't sure whether... They were doing the best for that child by being forgiving or by showing some tough love. Ah, the elder brother sits and watches this process. Uh, and I know there are folks and the sound of my voice right now who uh, perhaps know this story well or can relate with it. You love your family member, your child, your parent, your cousin in a way that has nothing to do with what they do but has everything to do with, with who they are. But for whatever reason, your love is taken and returned with, with hate. And uh, though you may have made many mistakes, all you want to do is give them the good things because you love them. And all you want in return is that they would take your good and do good. Uh, but somehow, perhaps inexplicably, uh, they take your energy, your love, your joy, your sweat and tears and squander it for no good reason. They take the money that you provide and burn it in disreputable ways. They take the your hospitality and, uh, and, and turn your house into a problematic place. You, they, they take your new TV or your new car that you've worked for years or perhaps decades to save up and break it with no regard and it hurts and you ask yourself why 
is the fruit of my love turn into something else? Why, why is the good that I'm a, a, attempting turning into something else? So I think some of us know what the eldest son is seeing. And we are asking ourselves why. We, we, we feel the anger of the eldest son. What do we do? And I know... The eldest son doesn't come off looking good in this story, but like most of the stories uh, that Jesus tells and his interactions, if we were honest with ourselves this morning, we would recognize that uh, we have a lot of, in this case, eldest son in us. Uh, certainly I do, uh, perhaps even more than most. In fact, this is... Uh, one of the longest passages in the Gospels. Uh, and most commentators say that this is one of the most intricate parables in the Gospels. But what almost everyone that I read from authors in the year 100 to the authors uh, in the 2000s in our current time say is that the youngest son is a great example of repenting. Everybody takes it for granted that this child repented. And, and frankly, I just have trouble seeing that. Uh, I, I, I see a young, a young man who decided to disown his father, takes all that his father has provided for his entire family, and in an act of pure selfishness, squanders it all to the point where he has nothing and is working with pigs, an abomination. Uh, and after all that, he comes to his senses and realizes that his situation is bad and that he'd be better off as a servant at his father's house than he is now. And so he goes back to his father, but nothing's changed. He's going back and doing the same thing he's always done, taking his father for granted and going back where the eating and the milk is good. Uh, and I know this person. I've, I've seen this person. When times are good, they treat the ones they love with disdain. And then when times are bad, they run right back and try to take more like the person is a magician. And that person is asked to suffer in love. Uh, and I'm looking at this and thinking there's no indication in this text that anything has actually changed. Now, I get it. If the kid went back to his father immediately and said, I, I, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry, before he spent the inheritance, I, I'd give him that. But he spent it all and then went back. <laughs> this child isn't sorry because he did wrong. He's sorry he got caught. Uh, and, and, and there's a huge difference. And, and that isn't repentance, I am thinking. Nothing has changed. This is, is perhaps even worse. He's gone back to the one he disowned because his situation is bad. He's just being opportunistic. He's still trying to do what's best for him at the expense of his father. Nothing's changed. Now, now to some, that might look like repentance, but to me, I had difficulty seeing it. And if I was really, really honest with, with myself, I might sometimes think that the father might even be, be doing a disservice by allowing such a son back into the household without some payment or penalty. 
because then they know that they can behave however they want and then turn and get bailed out in times of trouble. Uh -huh. e e economists call that moral hazard. Uh, so folks that I know says that the child needs some, some tough love uh, and, and perhaps to quote the scriptures that they who have sown the wind shall reap the world, whirlwind. And let's just admit that this is difficult. And let's admit that the elder son is looking for signs to compare how they are treated in relation to others. Uh, and he sees uh, when, the, when the prodigal comes back that the brother is treated well, that the fatted calf party is thrown for him. Not the, not the skinny calf, the, the fatted calf. And we can hear the sibling rivalry in this story, and it sounds like the elder son is jealous and is just looking for a party, but I don't think that's the case. I think perhaps he just wants what's fair. Not that he wants a party, but if there's going to be a party showing love and favor to someone, shouldn't the party be for the one who deserves to be shown the love and favor? And so that question remains, why does the prodigal get a party? And to answer that question, we need to turn and consider the father. And indeed, while most know this as the parable of the prodigal son, this actually isn't a story about the son. It's actually a story about the father. That's why it starts off by saying there was a man who had two sons. So what do we know about this father? We know the father gives the younger son what he asks for, even though it costs him half of everything he had even when it costs him his reputation, even when his wealth and status uh, and power suggest that uh, indeed he should never be treated this way and let he allows the son to treat him that way. And the father uh, allows himself to be to deal with the embarrassment and the, 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 the talking that others heaped upon him because the younger son acted in this way. And we know from his children that, that his children, the father's children, become lost without him. They squander their monetary inheritance in weeks, uh, and they begin to live with the pigs to do that which is an abomination. But even in the midst of the evil that comes with separation from their father, they delude themselves into thinking that they don't need him. In fact, some go as far as to say that the father isn't real, or some believe the lie that they've done so much that they can't return to uh, the father. But yet we also see the father's influence. In, in, in the midst of his mess, the prodigal son can only come to himself because of the father and the father's influence and the father's voice that still makes a difference. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? When I come to my senses, I know that's ridiculous, says the prodigal son. Why would I sit out here starving and embarrassed just because I want to be pig-headed? 
just because I don't want to acknowledge that I was wrong or just because I think my own way is the right way or just because I think my father is treating my brother or sister better or just because I think that my misery is a message to someone. The, the prodigal comes to his senses and says, why would I live like an animal when in my father's house? Why would I continue in my stupor when in my father's house? Why would I continue to search in places I don't belong when in my father's house? Why would I continue to be pretending to be someone different? on the world wide web when in my father's house why would i continue to be with the pigs and the abomination when in my father's house even just let me be a hired servant in my father's house and it's better than anything i can find oh but prodigal son you are not just a hired servant and look at what the father does when his child comes home. He calls a servant and puts on the best robe on the prodigal and puts a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. The, the father dresses up the prodigal as royalty, as though he's still an heir to the father. And he dresses the prodigal like he is his son, despite the fact that the prodigal has already rejected this notion when he asked for the inheritance he the prodigal who is not worthy to be a servant in the father's house by his own admission is called son <laughs> but wait there's more the father decides to throw a huge party the father takes the, the the calf that they've been carefully fattening up and making the meat moist and tender and well seasoned and juicy for years for only the greatest possible party the the, the, the animal that goat if you please that that, that, that gets killed and, and carefully prepared and then the, the the musicians get called in and all of a sudden out come the father's dancing shoes and nobody even remembers the father dancing anymore but he puts on dancing shoes and comes up with this lavish expansive elegant party to truly understand this parable you have to remember why Jesus was telling this story in the first place if this were today, 2021, there'd be, be rumors running, there'd be pictures released to TMZ of, of Jesus around people and in places that he shouldn't have been, and there'd be some talking heads giving uh, anonymous official reports uh, about where Jesus was and who he was talking to and what it would mean. And then Jesus would walk up and hold a press conference to answer why he was hanging around tax collectors and sinners. And this is what he'd say through the parable. Not only do I receive tax collectors and sinners, but even when they do the unthinkable, even when they abuse and reject me, I still receive them. And not only do I receive them, but I throw a party and I celebrate when one of them comes back to me. The message of the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, is that God's love is prodigal for you.
I know we call this parable the prodigal son, but the message really is that the father's love is prodigal for you. It is lavish. It overflows. It could be considered wasteful, except that our God would never consider that love wasted on you. That love that reaches to the highest mountain and flows to the lowest valley, that love that flows when you're alone and don't know what to do, when uh, you're hurting and don't know what to do, even on this day, this Father's Day, when it's difficult and you don't know what to do, the Father's message to you is that His love overflows for you, and that He wants you regardless of the situation or the circumstance to come home the reception isn't one of being reprimanded not I told you so not I'm going to lord your sin over you forever the reception when you come home to our father who art in heaven is I love you you are my child even if you reject him, despite anything you may have done, when you come home to the Father, he says, I love you, you are my child. Now, let me say that again. Despite anything you've done, the Father says, I love you, you are my child. And heaven throws a party just like you'd be excited if you searched all over and found your precious sheep or searched for days and found the coin you were looking for. Yes, you, you prodigal child, you that is both prodigal and elder child, you that owe your very possibility of existence to the Father, every dime, every piece of clothing, every opportunity, every relationship, and yet you reject him even in the midst of your rejection. He's waiting and willing to forgive you and embrace you if you turn to him. This is so radical. And I wish I could capture with words the incredibleness and the freeing of this forgiveness. I shared how I get stuck in eldest son thinking. But the reality of the Father's gift to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, is that the wrath, the justified wrath, for the abuse heaped upon our God the Father, is mediated through the continuing come home, my child, that is the message at heart of God and his gift to this world. Now as I begin to wrap up, I know this image of God is not one that we're always used to and it can boggle the imagination. And I know for many, if you were in the parable as the father of that child, that child would have some pain and explaining to do before they considered walking through the front door. And so I understand why the Pharisees, like the eldest son, struggled as they saw Jesus, this man who was clearly God-sent, attracting and talking with sinners and tax collectors. 
instead of giving those who at least profess to trying to be righteous the same attention. Uh, and if you look at the Old Testament, you may think that the Father in our parable isn't acting in the same way that we see there. And perhaps you've grown up your whole life thinking that God is punishing you for something you've done and that you can never turn back to God. And perhaps you really just understand that we can't blame the Pharisees for reacting the way they do. It's not what they're used to. Our God is loving, but our God is also just, and the actions of our Father, of the Father rather, can somehow strike us as unjust. That the prodigal should pay. And this parable indeed represents a whole new world. Perhaps that's why Jesus slowly introduced it by sharing three parables. And the whole new world is this. The wages of our sins, of the prodigal sins, indeed of our own biological father's sins, the wages of those sins can be paid by Jesus Christ. Jesus took on the justice so that we have the opportunity to take the love. Jesus paid it all on the cross so that when you come back home, like the prodigal, when you come back home to God, all you have to do is come back home point to the cross and say that's where all my wrong is beloved you don't have to go through anything with god other than going home and accepting the truth of his sacrifice and that's where i had the idea wrong about the younger son never re repenting. We, we don't know if he gets back on his feet and then goes through another cycle and disowns his father again. But what we do know is that he went home and acknowledged his sin against his father. And I, and I recognize now that what God simply wants, what God simply requires is that we communicate with him. And the only thing that keeps us from God is our unwillingness to be in communion with him. That's it. God does everything else. The only thing required of us is that we accept his sacrifice and come back to him. In order to be in communion, we must acknowledge who he is and the wrong that's kept us from him, but that's all that's required. God can take care of everything else but our repentance. And now as I, as I attempt to close, don't get me wrong, you are better off not living like the prodigal, not living in separation from the father in the first place. Uh -huh. But church, unfortunately, the flesh is short-sighted and usually wrong. 
uh, in our own way looks tempting sometimes because it seems easier or feels better but but but, but separation is always destructive uh, and always leading us away from our father's house which is where we should be in our God's house in the kingdom of God the eldest son thinks that the father is throwing a party for the prodigal but the party is not for the prodigal the party is for the father yes the father is happy the prodigal son is home and yes the father dresses up the prodigal and shows him that he indeed still is a son and is welcome home but the party is for the father because the party wants party he wants to celebrate this the idea, the concept, the reality that his son who was lost is now found. The father's in a good mood because heaven rejoices and celebrates when one who is lost is found. That is a celebration that we get to participate in. We get to participate in the celebration. And the eldest son hasn't lost anything because it is not about the presence that God gives us, but instead, because God is love, it is his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, -E -E, that matters. And the eldest son is in the presence of the father this entire time until the party when he separates himself from joining in God's celebration. <laughs> And do you notice that as soon as the father sees this, that he leaves his celebration again to go out and call the elder son and say, elder son, come home, come participate in my rejoicing. You will always have me except when you are right now separating yourself from me. Come back and celebrate with me. On this Father's Day, I want to encourage us to celebrate our God and to celebrate the Father's love. Uh, in the midst of uh, the difficulty, in my admitted uh, difficulty of understanding the reality of the Father's love in the presence of other realities about how uh, we might see justice and, and movement and the reality of that, I invite you, church, to celebrate the Father's love. And on this Father's Day, we can acknowledge that none of our immediate biological fathers can meet the example that God shared through the Father and through the Son, Jesus Christ. And that in many ways, this Father's Day can be difficult. And yet in the midst of that difficulty, I want to call us to embrace the mind-boggling love of our Father who art in heaven, who in a very real and material sense is our Father, who fearfully and wonderfully made us, who crafted the very DNA that drives us, and who is always 
and continuously calling us through his son home who's taken on the punishment for what we have done so we can bask in God's glory to God be the glory for the great things he's continuing to do the gospel has been shared and I want to encourage you if you feel the call of God then right now where you are wherever you are accept Jesus Christ the gift of the God who created the heavens and the earth who simply says I'll take everything else simply come home in that coming home repent so that you can know and grow in the reality of a walk with the Father if you're hearing that tug if you are hearing that from God I encourage you right now to just in your own language share that directly to God that's what we call prayer and then in the chat uh, or through the website you can you can submit what we call a connect card simply let us know that you've accepted this awesome opportunity uh, because we want to partner with you in your journey happy Father's Day go with God and be encouraged. Shalom.